0: Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne. And on today's podcast, I welcome on photographer, Mark Mahaney. I was really excited to get a chance to speak with Mark, as he's a photographer whose work I really enjoy and admire. Um, So real pleasure getting a chance to sit down with him. Mark has worked with clients such as Nike, Levi's, The New Yorker, Time Magazine, and Vanity Fair, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Mark about his recent time magazine cover where he had the opportunity to photograph legendary director martin scorsese i also speak to mark about how he approaches his business his craft as well as um his kind of journey photo assisting um before becoming a working photographer and how he's kind of thinks how assisting was very uh, helpful to him and is an important process of becoming a full-time working photographer i also speak to Mark about one of his personal projects called Polar Night um, that he photographed up in the northernmost point of North America, up in Alaska. Really interesting project, and much, much more. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Uh, Like I said, I've been a big fan of Mark's work for years, Um, so really appreciate him taking the time, and uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, Now welcome on uh, Mark Mahaney. Mark, thanks for taking the time to do this. I know I've been after you for I think like almost a year, dude. So, I really appreciate you taking time to do this. Of uh, course, yeah, happy big, to be here. Yeah, big fan of your work. And, uh, I guess to start off, uh, <laughs> you uh recently photographed Martin Scorsese for the cover of Time magazine. Um, I was just kind of curious, uh, your experience working with him and this kind of the overall shoot, I guess. Yeah, it
1: was, um, a very exciting opportunity and, uh, really. It's funny, I'm, I'm like photographer, but I actually don't, haven't watched that many like classic films. And so beforehand I watched a couple of his films and I've, I've since have watched, watched more and just watched the, the new one, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, yeah, it was very exciting. I can't remember how much time I had with him, but it went really fast as it always does. And, um. Uh, I think he likes the images he I just got a, a note an email from his production company saying that he has a letter to send me wow so I'm excited to receive a letter from in the mail from Martin Scorsese I think I'd frame that <laughs> yeah yeah it's probably going to be framed yeah what's that obviously Martin Scorsese like
0: legendary l- director like is that intimidating going in like you're directing this legendary director or do you do you get anxious at all or, or at this point in your career you just kind of
1: Know what you're doing i guess i don't feel anxious because he is who he is i'm more anxious because i i know it's for me it's like high stakes and i don't do that many editorial projects anymore um i have a good relationship with time magazine and um the last cover i did was the elon musk cover um, so it felt like a, another big opportunity to, to like, really try to knock it out of the park. And so, yeah, it's less, it's less intimidating because he is who he is. It's more intimidating the pressure I kind of put upon myself, which is, um, perhaps too much pressure, like, like kind of not sleeping for a couple of days, sleeping well for a couple of days before a shoot kind of pressure. Um, but. I go into all of these shoots super prepared, um, have like all my notes down, have reference files, have, um, like a shared Apple note with all of my photo crew so that we can all be on the same page about, you know, we're going to go do this shot and then we're going to do this shot and we're going to go over there and do that shot and all of the specific equipment that's needed for each shot and, and making sure that we have ample time beforehand to plan before the subject walks in and so um it's a pretty well-oiled machine by the time the subject actually walks in and when
0: you say like reference materials is that are you pulling reference is it like images like is it your own photos from past shoots or like it could be other photographers or like
1: what kind of stuff is in that reference folder i guess um it's some images of others it's some images of mine it's some paintings You know, like for poses, pose references, um, I normally create a, like a web link that I send out to my crew and on it is like handwritten notes, you know, with, uh, um, like I love, I love handwriting on stuff and it's handwritten notes and, um, there'll be lighting references that are specific and pose references that are specific, um, like crop references. It's stuff that i share with the magazine but also more importantly i think share with the crew and that i'm constantly referencing on my on my phone or you know i have one great assistant who's also named mark who's constantly like over delivering and he he makes printouts of them like on beautiful paper so we're just (laughs) uh, we're just sort of like you know have them at hand but it's a lot of images of um I think even on the topic of like influence and stuff, I'm much more influenced by stuff from the past than I am from what's happening right now. I actually don't feel like I have a good finger on the pulse of what's happening right now, and I could I could go into that, but um, it's it's a lot of like looking back in order to look forward in, in terms of my stuff that I'm inspired by.
0: Hope you guys are enjoying today's episode. Real quickly, I just wanted to tell you guys about Pick Drop. PicDrop is an image transfer tool I've been using almost every day for the past three years. Personally, I was sick of outdated platforms like Dropbox and WeTransfer and wanted something more catered towards photographers. And with PicDrop, it was actually founded by a working photographer. So they really understand what photographers need and they're continually offering new tools to better organize and help deliver images to clients. Uh, One of the best things about PicDrop for me is it helps me easily organize all my photos in one spot I can make custom folders for each job send video files and also my clients can um, rate the photos make notes so this kind of really streamlines my workflow when I'm working on different jobs with clients and I've never had one client have any issue um, understanding how to download the files Um, it's just really easy and user-friendly like some other platforms I was always having to explain to clients how to download it and figure it out, but with PickDrop, it's always been seamless. I know I've been talking about this for a while, um, but it's a product I use every day personally and can vouch for. Um, So with today's episode, you're going to get two months free of the PickDrop Emerge Transfer Tool when you use the promo code BANTER when you sign up at PickDrop.com. So go give it a try and let me know what you guys think. All you gotta do is go to PickDrop.com. Use the promo code BANTER and you got two months free. So, without further ado, we'll get back into today's episode. And with the reference stuff, will you share it with like the subject, like, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking or not so much? Cause like that's one thing, uh, especially in the digital age, especially with like Capture One. And I don't know if you tether when you shoot, but like I found it can be like a double edged sword. Like it can be good to show uh, subjects reference stuff or or how the shoot's going, or it can kind of bite you in the ass or like, how do you kind of approach that like do you kind of share what you're thinking what's kind of happening or how do you approach that aspect of like the sitting
1: it's really case by case um sometimes like in in when you're photographing somebody well known and they have like a team of people that come in before the actual person walks in they'll often ask what what my intention is for the shoot what the plan is um the subject themselves typically are are less interested in that. Sometimes it's it's helpful to let them know. But um and I do tether sometimes on shoots, sometimes I don't, like on the Scorsese shoot we did um on the Elon Musk shoot where it was a much quicker experience. It was like seven minutes of <laughs> of just like Wow Yeah, that was a real experience. Um you got a lot of stuff out of seven minutes in that. Yeah. I didn't I didn't tether on that for numerous reasons, but I actually don't like when the subject can see the picture because I actually don't like it when anybody can see the picture because, um, I do, I end up doing so much after the fact in post and it's not, it's not like it's like, um, trying to put lipstick on a pig kind of thing of making something interesting that's not, it's, it's more of. Like, even while I'm shooting or before I'm even doing the shoot, I'm well aware of my intentions, and it sometimes changes, but it's of, you know, I'm well aware of my intentions, of what I hope to do with the picture in post. And I actually feel like I enjoy the post-process more than I do the shoot itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Because A, you typically are on your own time, and there's not that immediate pressure of performing and performing and performing and doing it quick. And, um, but I also just feel like it's this amazing opportunity to almost do the shoot a second time because I'm often like heavily cropping. I'm, I'm so comfortable with working with stuff in post at this point that, um, like I'll heavily crop something, I'll heavily rotate pictures that I didn't think to do while I was actually making the picture um I'll heavily treat the images I'll do tons of masking and stuff that hopefully doesn't appear that way after you know when the final product is shown but it sometimes is like an absolutely night and day experience between what the raw file looks like versus what I end up with like even the Scorsese cover is like a if you were to see the original image of that it's it's a much different feeling. And I think that's really what I'm after is like a, a feeling of something from the image. And I typically feel like that comes alive in post for me. And uh, Is that something like, like you said, like when you
0: see the picture on the screen, is that something you have to continually kind of explain to the client? Like, hey, this is, it's not gonna look like this. And like, or at this point, people kind of, they know your body at work and they kind of, they probably trust you at this point, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, with editorial work, I'm, I'm able to, um, I actually rarely tether with editorial work. I normally only tether on commercial work and with the commercial work, it depends on the client that you're, you know, working with and the job at hand. But often the, the ability on commercial work is you're less able to sort of like really go for it with your look and feel of what I would normally do with post with editorial, it's like, I'm just actually there to make myself happy, um, you know? And I don't mean that in a in like a negative way. I, I, I more mean that in the sense of like, kind of like the airplane metaphor of put the mask, uh, oxygen mask on for yourself before others. It's like, if, if I'm not happy with what it is that I'm doing, then I can't expect anybody else to be happy about it. Um, and that really is, that was like a real shift for me, a uh, turning point and sort of claiming that, you know, the, that if I'm not happy with the work first and foremost, then I, then I am not, you know, like, I don't even want to show it. Mm. Um, so yeah, definitely. If you're, if you're
0: not excited, but it comes through.
1: Like, I think it, it
0: took, at least for me when I started out, cause you're just trying to get find any work you can and then you're just like at least for me I was like throwing shit out there but then like you said you realize like if it's just a mix mash of shit no one's gonna react to it and it's like I feel like when I started putting the stuff I I'm passionate about people can see like you enjoy it you know and I I feel like that's when you start to see progress and find your voice and I love your website I was going through you have the archive and it's really kind of cool to see the progression of your work. Like I feel like maybe I'm wrong. In the last few years, it seems like you're shooting more black and white and you kind of have this like real like, especially with the Elon Musk stuff and the Martin Scorsese, like there's this cool like like kind of I don't know if you call it vignetting and stuff you're kind of doing. Is that kind of like a new approach, new look you kind of discovered
1: and like has your look kind of changed a lot over the course of your, your career, you think? I'm kind of going back to what I started doing. Um I've been I guess I've been on my own for a little over 15 years. Um, I assisted for a while and that, I think, is would actually love to talk about that because I feel like it's like one of the things that, for whatever reason, uh, people are skipping over that incredibly crucial part of being a photographer. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started out doing photojournalism originally. Um, I had a really great photojournalist, um, teacher at Columbia college in Chicago named John white, who was like a amazing Pulitzer prize winning guy. And he inspired me to, um, apply for this. I don't know if it exists anymore, but it's the Eddie Adams workshop. Oh, yes. Eddie Adams was like the, uh, the uh, during the Vietnam war, the picture of the, the soldier holding the pistol and you can see the bullet going through the He's in the, the person's head, yeah. Yep. Um, and I remember I was the youngest person at that that got accepted in, I think, out of 100 people. And I'm just sitting there among, like, all these legendary giants, like, Gordon Parks was there, um, Joe Rosenthal, who did the picture of the soldiers putting the flag in the World War II image, I believe. Um, uh... I miss the others are escaping me, Nick Ut, who, who took the picture of like the, yep. the napalm girl, the Vietnam War, and I'm just sitting there, like, probably would have benefited by it had I been like five years deeper into a career, but I was still in college, and it was just this amazing experience. And so I started off doing that, and then I went to school in Savannah, Georgia, had a really great teacher named Zig Jackson, who also did sort of like photojournalistic work, but also into documentary work. And I started, um, like out, as I was leaving college, I started doing more portraiture and I think there was a part of me that missed doing black and white work and missed sort of, and like, maybe it's also goes back to the not really looking at what's currently happening and and more so looking to the past so I was looking at like old Stieglitz portraits and old Harry Callahan portraits and Dorothea Lang and Walker Evans and and just really focusing in on like what I liked about them what I what I liked about the feeling of them um and so I think a mix between that looking back for influence and also even just looking back for myself into what I originally enjoyed doing which was was like heavily black and white and mixing black and white and color. Um, Yeah, I I kind of like revisited and leaned back into that approach. Yeah, you can see the
0: photojournalist now that you mentioned that. Like you, uh, on the Elon Musk shoot, obviously the portraits are great, but I loved all the detail shots. And it seems like that's a big part of your work. Because even on your website, I like how you have it set up where it's like each shoot has like its own row and you get the portraits. And a lot of times there's like a detail is that something you, you you've always just kind of been looking for? Just to kind of add to the portrait,
1: kind of sitting, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if it's the photojournalist sort of in me or exactly what, but I, I definitely love as much as possible to create some sort of narrative and a little bit of like push and pull happening, so that there's you know really strong images, and then there's also images that while I obviously le- like the image enough to, to show it to the world. It's quieter and is almost more of like this interstitial kind of connective tissue between the, the, the louder moments of, you know, that are created in in the images. And, um, yeah, I definitely have that like editorial mind where I'm always trying to just shoot more and more and more and have there be portraits and mixing in landscapes and details and interiors and. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just to create as much of a narrative, even within a subject matter that doesn't even necessarily need a narrative applied to it. I, I just like kind of having that more lyrical quality where it's like, it's not just the verse or it's not just the chorus. It's like the verse, the chorus, the refrain, you know, the going back into the verse, into the chorus. <laughs> um, I really like that sort of flow that happens. And I think when there have been shoots, like I I did a shoot of Paul, the actor Paul Dano. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And I really love Paul Dano and I am very, very happy with the portraits and they, you know, I feel like exactly what I wanted to happen in that shoot came out of that shoot. However, it's just portraits. And it's, I guess, similar to Scorsese is like, I would love more than anything to like, have something else shown with that b- body of work, and not just the portraits. Yeah, it does add like, sense. Yeah, and definitely adds. I just love it. It just adds like a, another
0: texture to it. It just helps kind of tell the story. And with the black and white stuff, because you these days you hardly ever see black and white in editorial. Is is that like a for a Scorsese shoot, for instance? Was it always going to be black and white? Is the magazine ever be like, hey, can you do some color? Like, or when they hire you, or you're like are you pushing for
1: black and white or what's that conversation like? <clears throat> um, with the Scorsese shoot, the, uh, Catherine, the director of photography at time said that she imagined it to be black and white, which made me happy to hear. Yeah. Um, everything I, I'm purely shooting digital. Now I, I, was very late to to go to digital i stayed with film often shooting large format um and now that i'm shooting digital obviously there's that ease of use of the option of whether it's color or black and white and so she obviously knew i was shooting it there was the color option and i sent um or no i don't think i did send any images in in color to them i messed around with color on them but i i just felt like given the subject matter and um also just knowing that it was a cover for time and time looks so good with that like red border around it and just that mixed with black and white I it was i knew that i figured it was going to be black and white image at the end so um most magazines at this point don't really say too much, you know, if I give a, if I give them an edit, that's like more heavily leaning black and white. Sometimes they'll ask if there are any color images. And normally I'll just say there aren't, you know, or, or I'm just not happy. I, I much prefer the image in, in black and white, like with the musk shoot, uh, that shoot that it was supposed to be 15 minutes. And then it ended up being like more like seven minutes so many images came out of that that now um it's you know not that there's like some incredible monetary value in it because it's just like resales for editorial stuff that doesn't add up to that much but it's it's pretty amazing to see how many places have used those images and i often most of them are black and white. I often ask, like, can you convert this to, to color? And typically the answer is just no. It's it's just like a very different feeling image in in color than it is in black and white. Yeah, you got to stand up for your work. And that's the other thing I was going to ask is,
0: like, when you deliver a shoot, like, obviously, let's say editorial, advertising is different. Let's say editorial portrait shoot. Like, how big of an edit are you usually sending? Are you in? Do you ever, because this happens for me sometimes they'll pick the the images you don't like as much do you ever kind of stand up for yourself and try to advocate like hey what do you guys think about this or is it with client work it's just you kind of send and you just let them decide
1: or like how do you kind of navigate that um i'm doing very few editorial shoots now so i think last year i said yes to two shoots, maybe three. This year I've done two portrait assignments and then I just did um, like a slightly personal project that's being uh, will be published in Document Journal in a couple weeks I believe. Um, and so with that I feel like I'm in that process of being more selective about the jobs that I take on I'm also learning that I absolutely have to be more selective in the edits that I give. Um, and I'm very clear, normally, about my favorites. And I really appreciate clients when, like Catherine, at, at time, is, uh, for the last two shoots that were big shoots, um, they ran my favorite images as the covers each time. Wow. And even for the interior images. Um, and so I don't know if that's just personally, she and her team have trust and, and, you know, want to, want to sort of, um, be true to the photographer's interests and and selections and, or exactly what there is to that. But, um, I used to give enormous edits. I felt like it was. I felt like there was like strength to that and, and, you know, maybe it was a part of just being in that part of my uh, stage in my career where I just wanted to make everybody happy. And it was oh, less about making myself happy yeah. and more about making them happy because I needed the work and I had a family to feed. and. I also, you know, historically have found that the best way of getting commercial work that actually pays well is through people seeing your editorial work. And so I always wanted to over deliver in those moments. And now I'm, it's not that I'm not wanting to over deliver anymore. I'm just wanting to make my, myself happy. Yeah. And that means that I'm only showing what I would ever want to be seen by anybody else. Yeah. It makes sense. That's Much much, smaller edits. And that's what sets you apart. It's like when you try to please everyone,
0: you please nobody. I think it's like, at least that's what I've kind of learned.
1: Yeah. Or you, you don't end up feeling at the end of the day, like you're doing much to create your own voice in this industry. mm -hmm. And I feel like there are so many photographers and you have to really set yourself apart in some way, shape or form and um on that note i feel like everybody's afraid of ai and i feel like for legitimate reasons i think there's you know i actually use it every day i use it in in my editing process like for doing masks um in post the camera i use is heavily ai driven for autofocus as as i'm like aging and my eyes are getting <laughs> a little bit worse uh, i have to lean into that a little bit more and um so i think ai is like a great tool in some ways, but, but I actually feel like on the topic of setting ourselves apart, I think the biggest risk to being a photographer right now is how many people are trying to be photographers right now. Yeah. I think that that is a bigger risk, honestly, to people having a career that can take shape and have any sort of longevity to it, especially for somebody who's in their twenties right now. Like I can't imagine entering into this industry and being in my twenties right now. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like it's just so important to set yourself apart. And if you're, you know, presenting all of this insane amounts of work to the, to the world, and it has all this different look and feel, and it's not buttoned up exactly as you would want it to be. I feel like it's a real disservice. Yeah. Do you feel like you are, are you type of
0: person? Um, when it comes to editing your work, do you ask for input from, I don't know, colleagues or friends, or is it strictly just you or like, how do you kind of approach the editing, even just editing your website or editing your portfolio or whatever? Like, how do you kind of approach that? Like, cause it is an important
1: thing. How you are going to present like what your, your work, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, I feel like I don't ask for input from many people I'll ask, um, My wife, honestly, the person I ask my the most is my eleven year old daughter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She's I, I really appreciate um, you know, if I'm trying to decide between two images, I'll call her in and she'll almost always pick the one that I'm leaning toward, but I needed somebody who I trust she to got, she got good taste. <laughs> she does. And then I ask her why and it's it's half the time it's for reasons that that i didn't realize but she's always spot on yeah um so yeah i actually don't ask too many people i ask my family uh like my a couple very close photo world people and and that's about it um i i also feel like it's we live in this culture with social media like i think there's certain benefits of Instagram and and um you know I can imagine as a being a, a client I am would really be happy that Instagram exists it's like an immediate way of just having a much wider view of what's available yeah. you know in terms of photographers and what people are offering but for me personally I try to avoid Instagram like as as much as possible I you know, will I get the alerts when somebody mentions something or, or not even a mention, but, um, like a direct message and stuff, but otherwise I'm very rarely on it and I feel like we live in this culture that is like, as far as imagery is concerned is like, we're overfed and undernourished. And I, I think that that's a result of there just being so many images that are available to us to see Mm. um i am gonna botch the stat but i remember hearing a client mention the other day that that um i think in a single day the number of images that are are seen out in the world and shown out in the world um equal more than like the first hundred and 50 years or whatever of the medium existing uh, combined yeah. and um, yeah I don't know I, f- I, I, f- I just feel like going back to that idea of being selective I don't I don't remember if it was a Buddhist quote or Gandhi I think once said it, but I don't know what the origins of it but it's it's just that idea of like not speaking unless you feel like you can improve upon the silence Yeah, and I feel that way about showing images as well I kind of like
0: because I feel the same way like I use social media a lot but it's I don't really put much of my personal stuff out there it's just kind of it's almost a portfolio at this point but it's almost like I look at social media you kind of have to you have to kind of handle it like your diet it's like how much junk food are you gonna allow yourself to have but by st- it's a double-edged sword because I it is I'm the same way like there's photographers who work I love and I just Almost like I'll just mute it and it's not because I don't respect I love their work but it's just like it's too much I don't need to know what everyone's doing, but then also I love social media for instance, my friend Damon who you met earlier I don't know if I had social media if I would still because I've known him for like 20 years and it's kind of allowed that friendship to keep going because like as you know as you get older and you have families and it's harder to stay in contact with people so I love that aspect of social media but yeah. In terms of like career wise, at least for me, I don't know. Cause is it for you, is it more you don't want the input of like what the trends are, or what people are shooting? Or I know some people they struggle with like comparing like, oh, this person's working more than me. Or like, what is it about social media that you kind of have to like reg- regulate yourself with? I guess.
1: Maybe all of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's, um, In general, I try to stay in my own lane, yeah. and I've kind of always been that way. Um, I, yeah, I I think it's very easy to follow trends. I'm sure I've fallen into following trends plenty over the years, but when I do look at what's out there, it's kind of, there is a certain level of surprise in me that people are not realizing that, um, like it's one thing to be inspired, but it's another thing to emulate. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there is a real innocence in that. I'm not even, I'm, you know, not like judging necessarily. I think it, I think the closest thing to judgment that would come from it is surprise that some people are not realizing how much they're like, appropriating someone else's work or their exact treatment of images or you know it's like you know the out of focus person in in the foreground of an image how many people are doing that right now or the this trend that i think is a beautiful trend so i can understand it but it's it's like um you know shooting on film and printing on c-prints and then scanning the c-prints and showing the little film edge. And I get it. The, the images have a, a really different sort of like creamy look and feel to them. But it also, I, I just feel like is sometimes what draws me into an image is that. And I'm not even looking at the image or the quality of the craft behind the image or the framing or the lighting. I'm more just like, oh, I, I don't know if it's this nostalgia thing or exactly what it is, but You know, I'll see photography agency sites where, you know, three quarters of the people on the roster will be doing that exact technique. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't, I can't tell one person's work from the other.
0: Yeah, the film thing is interesting. In the last few years, it's, uh, because like, I'm sure like you, I came up on film because that's all there was when I started out. There wasn't digital. And it's now it's become... I can tell if it's like a marketing thing for some people. It's almost like film film is like their personality or like their brand, which is interesting. It's because to me, at the end of the day, I look at photography. It's like I don't really care how you got there. Like, do you have an interesting perspective or an interesting story or like your approach? Like, yeah, the I don't know the film thing. Like, and I was talking to Joe Pug last week, and he we were he's like, it's not sustainable. Like, even. It's so hard. It's so expensive to shoot. It's like $20 a roll now, dude. It's like crazy, but I don't know. If people like it, do it. But I don't think it should be like a I don't think people should feel like they need to shoot that to like
1: it's not it's not going to set yourself apart in my mind, you know? Um I think there are some cases where it does set people apart. Um my friend Brian who you mentioned earlier, Brian Scoopmont. Yeah. Like he he's gotten to a point where you can Um, some of his work is digital yeah, and it actually looks quite a bit like the work that he does in large format because he's really figured out which lens can do that for him Mm. but just knowing him as well as I know him like he lives and breathes this camera that that he has this you know field camera yeah, and he is just a master at using it and being able to like throw focus like you know, doing the, the camera tilt shift sort of stuff that, that I used to be really into and, but you know, I've posed for, I've been in a picture, uh, you know, him doing a portrait of me before, and it's just amazing sitting and watch how quickly he, he can do it. And I feel like he wouldn't be able to make that same picture in the way that he makes it with a different tool than the one that he uses. Yeah. Um. And it's not to say that he can't make a great picture without that tool, because he can and does. Um, but beyond that, I I agree with you. I think there's, I think that like, there is this real trend. There's clients that are, you know, constantly asking, "Can you shoot film? Can you shoot film? We really want to shoot film." It's like, honestly, with with how amazing opportunities are right now with these cameras and with post-production there's there's nothing that you can't replicate the look and feel of from film typically it's like everybody wants this really grainy yeah. filmy sort of thing you can totally do that with with ease with digital now if if you know how to do it the thing i struggle with is i'm not a person i know
0: like i have a friend he owns he my my friend xander he has he, he's a gear nut like, he has a 900 cameras. I, I can't work like that. Like, I have two cameras I shoot, and really it's one. I shoot Canon R5, and then occasionally I shoot my Hasselblad, and that's it. Are you the type of person that can do you jump between different camera models or brands or formats, or do you kind of have your kit and you kind of just stick to that?
1: I definitely have my kit, and I stick to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have. I. It's one of those questions that, I'm asked all the time, and I'm sure so many photographers are asked all the time of like, you know, wanting to get into the gear, gear talk, and I get it, but I also feel like if you're focusing that much on the camera that you're using, or that some person whose work you really are inspired by is using, then you've you've kind of like lost the, the thread. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the more important, there are more important questions, I think, to ask than than like, exactly which camera you're using or you know even even asking what kind of lighting you use i feel is a more pertinent question to me um and so i specifically shoot with one camera i have toyed around with like i think in general i'm i'm like just a very loyal uh monogamist person um and i feel the same way about cameras. It's like if I find something and it works, I keep using it until there's something else out there that I feel like is worthy of trying. And I like I I shoot with the Sony A seven R five. and I have tried multiple times going to that Fuji GFX system. Yeah. The one hundred mega megapixel thing was just like overload for me. I don't know I don't even have any idea why I would ever need that. Um, and then I just feel like I tried the 50 megapixel one and it's, you know, I don't know if it's like a, just a personal preference, like kind of like people using Lightroom versus Capture One kind of thing. Um, but the Fuji thing just didn't work for me and I feel like I love, I love the, the camera that i use right now and sony makes the sensors for all of the cameras for the most part so why not go straight to the source and i feel like it's just such an advanced system and so i stick with that and i um yeah i don't know i have friends who are constantly jumping between things and i just feel like it's a distraction and i i, I feel like it's i don't know there's something <laughs> maybe to look into there the, a little deeper. Uh, yeah, but I hate buying, I honestly avoid
0: buying new gear, dude. Like, even even other shit, like, I, I had to buy new glasses yesterday, because mine are just, like, falling apart and they're all and shit. I fucking hate buying new glasses, dude. It's <laughs> like, I like the way these ones look, I don't want to switch, and it's hard to find the exact one. I'm like, I try to avoid that. Same thing with cameras, man. I finally had to buy the R5, because my other camera was just beat, and it was just, like, I had to make the switch finally, but I kind of feel the same way about gear. Uh, but to go back, man, like where do you grow up and how do you kind of first discover photography?
1: <clears throat> I grew up outside of Chicago in the suburbs and, um, my mom was an art major in college and my dad was, a um, a commercial airline captain. Wow. And I feel like somewhere in that combo really... I don't know, there's like, both of them are extraordinarily meticulous people. Um, my dad, obviously for, for his line of work was just like, you had to be absolutely buttoned up, um, and I feel like both of their influences really benefited me in, in this path of work that I have decided to, to, um, you know, embark, embark upon and, um, I was lucky enough to, we didn't grow up with much money in my family, but we lived in a pretty affluent area and there was a really great high school. And somehow we had this insane darkroom facility and three photography classes. And, um, my sister ended up, my sister's two years older than I am, and, um, she ended up taking the ph- photography class. My mom bought her, like, a little Vivitar SLR camera with a 50 millimeter lens. And I ended up, I think, using it more than she did. My sister also went to school f- for photography. Wow. Um, and so I ended up kind of probably following in, following in her footsteps. But, um, yeah, ended up doing all the classes at my high school. Ended up sort of, like, being the the tutor for other classes because I loved it that much and then immediately went into to college for it. So.
0: Wow. Is your sister still shooting it herself at all? She's not. That. She's, she's going a different path. That's cool. And was your family always pretty supportive of you kind of
1: following your passion with photography? They were, um, I think maybe my mom. Not that my dad wasn't supportive of it, but I think my mom understood it more. Um, just coming from her own background, my dad, I think was much more around like, you know, how are you going to make a living doing this? Or are you just following in your sister's footsteps and all that totally understandable, (laughs) important questions that I would also ask, you know, if, if my daughter, you know, went down this path as well. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's great. And so when you went to school for photography, did you have like a goal in mind of what you wanted to do? Was it, did you always kind of dream of shooting editorial and kind of the stuff you're doing
1: now or, or, or was it different when you first started, I guess? Yeah, it goes back to, I think I was mainly influenced by the teachers that I had who really seemed like the most solid teachers. And they were both people that did documentary work. and photojournalistic work, um, and so I kind of thought that I was going to do that, and then I, you know, this is, I don't know how old you are, but, uh, you know, I, I was in college during the era where, like, the internet was obviously existed, but, and I would visit, like, photography reps' websites and things like that, but I didn't really know what was out there. Images were not as commonplace in our everyday lives as, as, uh, they are now. And obviously social media didn't exist, all that stuff. And so it's like, I would have to go to Barnes and Noble to look at the books that they had and look at the magazines that they had. And of course it was a very limited, you know, selection of things that they had there. And, and so I think as I began to, to have more exposure to different kinds of work that were out there, I became less interested in photojournalism. Mm. And it's not a knock to photojournalism. It was just more of like, I personally found more of a connection and, and more, uh, inspiration and, in, in other types of work. Whoa, some of the work,
0: kind of those early works that you were inspired by, you think? Um,
1: I remember lo- loving seeing the humor in, uh, I actually ended up being repped by, uh, a guy named Julian Richards originally. He's since retired. Um, I think he retired in like 2014. Uh, his whole roster I found very inspiring. There was, there's a photographer who I'm friends with now named Dean Kaufman, who I just loved. He d- he does like a lot of architecture and always like, um, there were, photographer chris buck who i think you've interviewed before there's no there's
0: one chris that's what i love about chris there's no one else like that guy
1: yeah i can't say that i know his work anymore but i really was inspired by the humor that was injected into it while also making successful images um i remember loving nadav kander's work and i i think i enjoy it less now because it there's something to it that feels a little too hyper real or too too digital, but I still really appreciate it for the craft that goes into the work. Mm-hmm. And um, I connect with it in terms of, it seems like he goes into a shoot extraordinarily prepared and has it all mapped out. And it also seems like work that even even back then when he shot film, seems like there's a real, um, craft in like the post process oh, as def- well. Definitely. That, that is even to this day, I, I, still think like you can tell an image of his, yep. and I, I think that's one of the things that is going back to that idea of like needing to make your mark. I think, I think that you can tell an image of his, you can tell uh, a Jack Davison image. You can tell a Brian Scudemont image. Like, you can tell a Thomas Pryor image. And I, I feel like that's always the goal. That should be the goal. Yeah, that's what I really appreciate about your work, is
0: your your eye and, like, approach to, like, color, and then especially with your black and white, you just, like, like you're saying, like, I know, like, the tones that you, however you do it, like, I know it's yours. And that's like the hardest thing to find. And is that, is that hard to find yourself? Is it just trial and error, just playing with it and trying to find that look? Because I think obviously there's so much to it. It's lighting and stuff. But like for me, I can tell when there's just like a, like a tone, a color. Like Dan Winters has his. Like he, he loves greens and he has those certain textures. And like other people like Nadav has his tone. Like how do you kind of approach that? Because I feel like when I look at your work, that's just such a big part of it.
1: Yeah, I think it, um, it's really trial and error and it goes back to like me doing whatever it is that I makes me happy or makes me feel like this image is complete or this image is uh, a success. And I'm even, even right now I'll, I'll revisit images and like send them to my photo rep and you know, these are images that I took a year or two ago and just say like, Hey, I revisited this. I like this version much better. Can you please swap it out on your website kind of thing? Like I am endlessly doing that. And I think it's, I don't know. I think there's, um, yeah. It's just wanting to do a good job, (laughs) really. It's wanting to, it's wanting to like be happy with, with what it is. And I, I am always flattered if I do hear that, that, it somebody says that it's an image and they, without even looking at the byline, knew it was mine. Like I even have photography or people who are not photographers or related to photography. I have a, a person who was my across the, the hall neighbor in Brooklyn who, uh, is a finance guy. And he'll text me every once in a while and say like, I knew that, I knew that Scorsese image was yours on the <laughs> cover. I knew... I knew such and such was yours yeah. and and that that to me is uh actually means maybe much more than that across the hall neighbor knows.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Um and you know, even at this point in your career and like
0: you're getting to do really amazing jobs and photograph all these like influential people, do you walk away from every shoot like completely satisfied? Or is there do you even do you ever like second guess yourself after like I wish I did that or like How do you feel, like, at
1: this point in your career, I guess? Um, I am always second-guessing myself, um, or maybe not second-guessing myself, but just, like, unsure about how a shoot was until, you know, I've been able to spend a couple days with it on the computer. And... Yeah, it's it's a weird process having these shoots, especially ones where they're high profile people and they're you know very short windows of time. It's like you almost don't have the time to to second guess yourself in those moments. So you're just running on like adrenaline or running on the plan that you have in in your back pocket, you know. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm very regularly saying to people, if they ask, how do you think the shoot went? It's like, I don't know yet. (laughs) I don't know yet. Um, and that's again, going back to the, this post process thing. Like I really, there are these opportunities to have that shoot for me. It feels like genuinely a, a second time. And so in those moments where I do wish that I had been able to do this or do that, you know, I, to some degree, obviously you can't like totally Fix everything in post, but but to some degree, I'm able to like inject a little bit more into an image, you know, so that I don't so so much sort of have regrets or feel like I missed an opportunity or anything along those lines. Yeah,
0: no, that's comforting me to hear, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I guess like when you got out of college, like what was your? I know you, you talked to me before. As you spent some time in New York, and you kind of touched on assisting
1: a little bit. Did you kind of go straight into assisting once you get out of school? Yeah, so I I graduated college and I moved to New York like five days before September 11th happened. Wow. And so, um, challenging moment to find work. I ended up doing a couple internships, um, which were hugely valuable. Um, they were, I'm pretty sure I wasn't paid for them. Um, and I had no problem with, with doing that. yeah, I moved up without really, uh, one of the assignments in college was to touch base with somebody who was a professional, you know, it was the, for like a business development class in college. That's a great assignment. Yeah. And so I had a couple leads from doing that, um, and I ended up landing a full-time assisting position with a, uh portrait photographer named Timothy Greenfield Sanders, whose, whose work I, um, have always appreciated, but it wasn't, it wasn't really aligned with the type of work that I was doing myself. And I can't say that maybe it was, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was immediately excited and happy to be working for him and, um, I also feel like there's something to going back to the emulation thing. I don't know how much it happens now, but I, I feel like there's for a while, there were a lot of photographers or assistants who would pick a photographer whose work they just, you know, wanted to basically, if they could step into their own, into that photographer's shoes somehow magically, they would love to do that. And I always felt like it was. More important for me personally to work for somebody who, who I respected and who's, who did really solid work and really high profile jobs and photographing presidents and, you know, dignitaries and legendary musicians and actors and cultural figures like that to me was such a important thing to sort of like be a fly on the wall for. And I, I don't know, I, I think somewhere in there, unconsciously, I, I didn't want to work for somebody whose work I wanted to completely emulate, mm-hmm. and I—you could definitely, for a while, see that happening. Um, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's sort of a natural sort of. Yo, you felt like you were shooting like Timothy for a minute. No, no, okay. no. I'm saying I—I I felt. I feel like you can see yeah, assistants. Yeah, yeah. Yep, plenty of assistants. I did that. Yeah. 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 Who are really following the look and feel of the people who they worked for, mm-hmm. especially knowing n- how those photographers craft their images and yeah. what lighting they use and, and everything. And so, yeah, I I didn't do that. And I feel like instead I just sat there like a fly on the wall and really was, um, I'm, I'm still very close friends with Timothy now. He, he, my, my dad passed away <clears throat> during the time that I assisted for him and he you know stepped in like a father figure in many ways and still to this day is checks in on me and you know offers me his place to 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 stay right. and um gave us his his old car when when he found out that my wife and I were having a baby and you know it's it's a it's a very important well for me personally that relationship that I had with him is was so hugely important. And it was more than appreciating any work that he did or trying to replicate anything. It was more of like this step in becoming a photographer that I feel like so many photographers are skipping now. And I think it's actually a huge, like if there's one piece of it, I have two pieces of advice for photographers. Drop it, Mark, drop it. (laughs) One is learn QuickBooks yeah no hell yeah dude that <laughs> and 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 like learning how taxation works and two is being assistant and have no shame about it yeah and i think right now it's like so many people look at being an assistant as something to have shame around or like they haven't made it yet and they're meanwhile they're like 21 or even 23 and i just feel like You know, it's, it's a, there are some people who make that leap. They, they, whether they go to college or not, they at 21 are producing work that is like mind-bogglingly good. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are plenty of people out there who are not ready to be doing their own work or, or, you know, not doing their own work. I feel like everybody should be doing their own work, but, but are maybe not ready to be fully out on their own. Because it's, it's really something to be on a shoot, especially like a commercial shoot where you're on a set of 60 to 80 people yeah, and you're suddenly the person who is the point person, the person that every single person on set is looking, coming to for answers and you're having to multitask and delegate and learn how to, you know, handle that amount of stress, learn how to, how to handle your crew and speak to them in a respectful loving way so that they feel inspired to to help and to you know pour their hearts into it you know learning how to talk to clients um sometimes learning how to have somebody from the ad agency on one side and have somebody from the client side on the other and they're having completely different input on on how the shoot should happen and you're just in the middle (laughs) like having to having to roll with it and having to integrate all that stuff and, and still having to like pull a rabbit out of a hat. Like there's so much of that, that, that I learned through being an assistant. I learned from being that fly on the wall. I learned how to talk to the subject. I learned how to, you know, talk to clients on the phone or learning what, what worked and what didn't work in terms of like, even. When I was a third third assistant for Timothy you know I would hear the second and first assistants talking as they were beginning to get emails and and calls come in for doing their own work and hearing about like them asking immediately what's the budget and then feeling like even though I couldn't hear what the client was saying on the other line feeling like I could tell that the conversation the tone of that conversation changed so I made a note like You know what, I'm never going to ask what the budget is. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Like now I will maybe, but why? You know, like I, I I do now because I have a family to feed and it, it matters, but I'm going to put, and I do to this day, it's like, I, I can go from a job where you pay for your whole family's expenses for the year from that one shoot and then go immediately into a job where I lose a couple thousand dollars on it. Yeah you can't tell the difference in terms of looking at the images of what I put of myself into those projects, you know? So, but you still have, okay, this is interesting. This is a great
0: conversation. So I get that perspective, but like, if you're doing a job for whatever, some big fortune 500 company, like you don't just want to give them everything, get taken advantage of, like you still, uh, for sure. Obviously you have a rep, like how do you, yeah, you don't, I look at the work, it's like, what do you, yeah, cause I do plenty of issues for where I lose money or I put money into it. And it's like, but what am I getting out of it? Am I making something either? Do I enjoy it? I'm making some work I love. Is it going to be a good connection or is it going to be whatever? Or do you do jobs for money? And it's like, it's always a negotiation. Like, how do you kind of balance that? Like, mm-hmm. cause you are running a business, especially if you got a family and stuff like that. And you, it is like, a, yeah,
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't mean to say like that you should not ask about the budget and get steamrolled by a client. That definitely is not what I'm after. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff is super important. It's, it's important to stick up for yourself. It's, um, you know, to be treated fairly and, and, um, yeah, making sure that you're being compensated, especially when it's from some huge company being compensated well Mm -hmm. and that you know, somebody, you have somebody there to look over the terms of the agreement and all that stuff. I think what I'm speaking more to is like, especially early on, I had, again, this goes back to being mm-hmm. an assistant. I had the comfort of having a, a full-time assistant position. And so I was in a position where the work that, the work that was coming in, doing for editorial clients at the beginning wasn't... Like I was still making more as an assistant, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and even as my career progressed, even as I, you know, had got married and had a, a child, like I still felt that the budget, like for me, I, I do projects for there's, there's two criteria and one criteria has to be met. Hopefully, both of them are met. One is, does it pay well? Yeah. And the other is, or does it pay enough, I guess? And the other is, um, am I going to get content out of this that I'm happy with? Yeah. And thankfully, uh, more and more as things go on, both of those criteria are hit. And if if neither of them are hit, then the job is, is a no. If one of them is hit, it still depends on certain factors, whether I take the job on or not. Yeah. If both of them are hit, it's an immediate yes, yeah. Um, and so I think I think what I'm speaking more to on the topic of budgets and things now is is it was initially around like just realizing that it was a conversation changer. You know, when if the first thing you asked was about the budget. Seems a little dirty. It's just
0: like, it's all you care about. It's not, you're not invested in the project and. Uh, exactly. But,
1: like for me, it's more about like maybe a positivity sandwich kind of thing. where like, if you have to ask about the, the budget, you bury it, the, you know, the layers between the yeah. pieces of bread that are, you know, the bread being the positivity where it's like, oh, I'm so excited you reached out. You know, I'm have always loved your yeah. your publication whatever yeah. and then you can ask about the budget and then you follow it up by something positive you know i feel like that existed for me much more in early days now what i mean about the budget is that it doesn't really impact whether or not i pour all of myself into it yeah cuz you're you're looking at this long term
0: you're going to be doing this for decades and i think that that's a smart thing cuz it's easy to make like quick decisions but if you're looks obviously you, you're thinking down the line you're you're thinking long term and it's like eventually if you have a plan it'll it'll work out better i feel like that, that's what i'm kind of taking from what you're saying a little bit yeah and
1: also i think people i you know your your work only gets you so far like the, the photographs you make only get you so far if you're a total asshole and and you know your ego is just so hyperinflated it's probably like your work has to really be insanely good in order for somebody to want to endure the the interactions with you with you yeah and i just feel like um yeah it's it's like you have to just be a good business person you have to be a clear communicator you have to be friendly you have to like pour all of yourself into it. And you also obviously have to like make as good of pictures as, as humanly possible. And it's like
0: running the business side. Is that something you've always been natural at? Is it something you've pre- like gotten better at over the years? It, you kind of have to learn as you go. Like you're saying, like the shoots get bigger, especially when you're doing advertising, it's big sets. Is that like dealing with people and this, is
1: the business have you, like you've always been comfortable with that? Um, I think I have been. Yeah, I've always sort of been, been really buttoned up and, um, yeah, there were, there were moments where I got like right around the time that my daughter was born. It was just like a absolute blessing of sorts, uh, you know, commercial work started coming in and the timing could not have been better and I I got to a point where there was so much work that I had done over the course of a couple of years that I like got behind on bookkeeping and got behind I think on for like over a year or two of of like filing my taxes and stuff like that. It was, it was, uh, that was a really painful moment for me from as terms, in terms of like a bit, somebody running their business. Yeah. Um, but since getting caught up on all of that stuff, like that's never happened again. And I'm, yeah, I actually really enjoy the the running the business part of it. I enjoy, um, yeah, like reaching out to clients selectively and having those conversations and, um, yeah, I, I don't know why I've, I've always sort of, it's weird because my, no one in my family has, really run their own business before. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not like it was modeled to me at all, but I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Actually, maybe part of it was influenced by being an assistant and, um, Timothy, who I worked for was, was just like, very, very, very good at running his own business. Like he always had a photo rep, but he, he also, I think probably handled the majority of the negotiations and and everything for better or worse himself and I think, I think I found that very inspiring. He's actually the one who pushed QuickBooks on me for I forever. And it's like, love Quig- <laughs> I genuinely, if, you know, when I'm asked to like talk to a college class or something like that, and people ask for my number one piece of advice, I kid you not, like it's QuickBooks <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or some sort, of, some sort of accounting software, because you can get, especially if you Get really busy, like you can get really lost. and yeah,
0: I had happen this year. I got an audit. I got the do the, the letter you don't want to get in the mail from the IRS, and they were like, "You owe this." And I like went. It was like literally from like four years prior. And luckily, I was using QuickBooks then, and I could go back and I had all the receipts from this mm-hmm. thing. And it was like, brought my accountant and got it solved. And I didn't owe that money. And I was just like, if I wasn't didn't have that, it sounds like a QuickBooks ad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what it really is, like a, I I I have this argument with friends. I'm like. I get it. It's an, You have to spend a little bit of money. But, like, if this is your business, this is the part you don't want to go cheap on. Like, it's going to yeah. help you organize and less stress. Like, I don't have that stress anymore. For sure. Yeah. And I just have to say this. I appreciate this. You're so organized, like we've been talking about. I've done 200. This is episode 251 or something. You were the first guest to have printed out notes prepared. Like, I'm talking. This is great, man. So, I think anybody listening, just seeing your attention to detail and the professionalism, man, I really appreciate that. And you can tell you obviously bring that to your, your work, man. So <laughs> I, I just had to let people know because it's fucking awesome. Uh, Thank you. And the hardest thing, obviously, you're, you're assisting Timothy. Making that jump to shooting is the hardest thing. Like, was it a gradual thing? Did you Were you still assisting, taking out assignments? When were you able to, like, make it your full-time job? Like,
1: what was that kind of transition for you? I made this transition during a very different time than, than right now. Like not, not that it's that long ago looking at the calendar, but like, I feel like it's, it's just in an insanely different world that we are presented with from a photography standpoint. And so I don't know totally if I were starting out right now, if I would succeed in the way that I have, you know, thankfully had, I'm, I feel so grateful for, for where I'm what I've been able to do and trust the clients put in, put in trust in me. And I began sort of like, I was always doing my own work as an assistant. So on at night on the weekends, I, I say to kid with my wife that like, I lived in New York for 12 years before we ended up moving to California. Um, and I feel like I missed. New York. I just worked the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I am not a big regret person. I feel like it all worked out all right. I'm I'm now spending, you know, part of my year on the East Coast and I'm able to dip in New York City as like a a free bird and just, you know, wander and do all these things that I didn't do when I lived there. But yeah, I I feel like I worked two full time jobs and I was an assistant full time and then at night and on the weekends I was just doing my own shoots, you know, and trying to put a portfolio together. And I ended up having enough work put together where I, um, ended up starting to do, I feel like for maybe a year, it was like half of my life was spent assisting and half of my life was spent doing my own shoots. And I ended up these are all probably magazines that don't exist anymore other than I think obviously the New York times magazine exists, but I remember setting myself up wanting to, knowing that I was still an assistant, like I picked five magazines that I wanted to approach who I felt like my work could really fit in well with. Mm -hmm. And within the first couple of months of reaching out to them and having meetings, I got jobs with all five of them. Wow. And I ended up, um, some of them, they were like my first go-to jobs were for years. Like there was a science magazine called Seed, um, that, I uh, I don't know, kept me busy for a couple of years and, and gave me some of my first really big editorial projects of photographing like legendary scientists and, um, and none of it's work that I show anymore. It's, you know, it's like to some degree I, I look at what Somebody, however old I was at that point, like 25 or something, I look at 25 year olds' work right now, some of them, and I'm just like absolutely floored by how high quality it is. Um, but eventually I had enough work under my belt where I was able to like fully wean myself off of being an assistant. I would, I would, um, go back every once in a while if I was absolutely needed for something, but I, I um, eventually had enough work of my own where I just sort of launched launched off doing that, and I feel like I never did, other than those initial first couple of months. I never had a portfolio ever again. Wow. Um, I never went around. Um, actually, right—it's a lie. I, right before COVID, I was excited about showing work and did this whole printed box of like beautifully printed double-sided prints. I flew to Portland for some meetings. I think I flew to LA for some meetings and then COVID hit and I've basically created an entirely new body of work since then. So that whole print box is just sitting somewhere. I don't even, couldn't even tell you where it is. And I've never like done those types of portfolio meetings ever again. And so the reason I bring that up is I ended up doing work for Um, a couple key clients at the beginning and instead of doing more portfolio reviews and things, I asked those clients who I knew I had made happy with the work that I had done for them. If they could recommend other magazines for me to reach out to, because it's like, obviously it still exists this way, but, but then also like everybody knows everybody else that everybody, you know, and I think it's been like the, the best thing that I have done in my career is I've always asked for very selectively asked for help from people. Yeah. Um, and even to this day, like, uh, it was a Natalie Matashevsky. who was a photo editor at time magazine. She brought me into the initial time magazine shoots and she then went to work for a client that I shouldn't name, uh, and brought me into that fold. And, and, you know i've been working with that client ever since and um you know it's it's just as like people are very supportive in this line of work and are happy to help i think there's a real barrier that a lot of people feel in asking for that help um i have for some reason i'm i'm an extraordinarily shy person like i will not i'm too shy to like say hi to somebody sometimes that i know in the growth that i run into at the grocery store but i have no qualms about front on a professional level like asking for help or yeah. raising my voice or anything along those lines it's it's just been like it's been the the biggest thing to shape my career is is actually asking for help yeah relationships are everything and anybody who says they're self-made is full of shit. uh
0: in my mind it you can't do this i like all my best jobs, like I've spent—I mean, I'm sure you've probably done this too. Maybe, I, at least in my experience, I could spend years like marketing to this one client, my dream client, dream client. I send them shit, send them shit. It doesn't go anywhere, and then you end up getting like—at least for me—like some of my best things is just through like a weird, like random relationship and kind of built that way. It's for me everything really. My my best client, obviously, I try, I do, I try to do the best work and I deliver the best I can. My best client we have a relationship because we both love baseball and there's like mm-hmm. that connection on that and it's like that's what that's what keeps it going for me my long lasting clients it's like there's like a friendship there with some of them not everyone some of us is a business thing but
1: yeah it's all relationships in this mm-hmm. business in my mind that's that's how I've grown Yeah, yeah I mean I think to that point I think it raises the point of the importance of being a good communicator I'm I hate making generalizations but there are, and obviously this is not a blanket statement. There are, are plenty of people that don't fall into this category, but I feel like there is something about like the younger generation, I, I feel so old saying that, but like, <laughs> um, who are, could really get some guidance and, and, uh, to instill upon them, the importance of being good at communicating yeah, and how absolutely crucial it is. I feel like it's probably the most crucial part of this whole industry it is, is just communicating clearly and answering, like, I don't care how busy I am. It might take me a couple of days, but I answer every email, even if it's like just somebody reaching out, asking for advice or wanting to look at their portfolio or whatever it is, like it's important yeah definitely even in my
0: personal relationships like friendships and stuff because we we, we've slowly morphed into this world where we're all on our cell phones we're all like most people are addicted and we everything's text message like less and less now it's 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 like if you call someone it's like people are worried you're being rude to like call someone but I got friends like fuck you dude I'm calling you man like I'm not gonna be like a robot because it's what it feels like to me like obviously I text all the time but like I want to, like, this shit. Like, we're having a real conversation. It's not just, like, this robotic thing, like, digital message, digital message, digital message, where it's, like, yeah, it's this. It is important to be able to talk to people, especially being a portrait photographer. You can't talk to people, man. Yeah.
1: You're screwed, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's also just interesting. We have all these um, different modes of communication now, and I don't actually check Instagram every day. I, I'm, you know... uh, the only reason I have the alert on to show me that I've, you know, pop up on my notification that I have a DM is because some, there's a lot of clients that will reach out about like Definitely. huge jobs. Yeah, dude, it's over direct messages. like, Mine, I don't it's know. my website now. Yeah. 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 And so I have to check all those different modes of communication, but I, yeah, I spend a lot of my time now in part of we we bought a property in in like north of New York City and spent a lot of time in an area where there's absolutely zero cell reception and I (laughs) am obsessed with it. (laughs) It's just like nope not available. Uh, I'll, I will get back to you. I promise but I w- Cannot get this, back to you right this,
0: now. Yeah, my ne- this actually leads in perfectly to my next question You did this awesome project up in Alaska uh, called a polar night, right? That was mm-hmm. the project which kind of now makes sense thing that you like being in the middle of nowhere uh, how, how did that kind of project come
1: about because I think it's the northernmost point in Alaska, right? It's the northernmost point in, in North America, yeah. I believe. D- definitely in America. Yeah. Um, um. I had forever, you know, just going back to this thought of me like overworking, and um, I really needed to. I started working with Claxton Projects, mm-hmm. Tom Claxton, and his whole ethos for this new agency that he that he started was around. Bringing in commercial, photo- commercial and editorial photographers onto the same roster as like heavy hitter Mark Steinmetz kind of uh, fine art photographers, and having the fine art photographers do commercial and editorial work, and having the inverse happen yeah. as well: the editorial and assignment photographers doing fine art work. And I think at the time I was the only person on the roster who had not had, like, a, a photo book. And... it It's not like I was getting pressured to do it, but I was more so hungry to do it myself, and so... It was actually a real gift that I feel like I gave to myself to the point where even if... in a single image hadn't come from the thing, it was still, like, a very... valuable investment that I made into... Uh, not just like the monetary thing of turning down other work while I was there and the expenditures of flying there and everything, but more so just like this energetic gift of giving myself the time and space to do something that was just for me. Yeah. And so I ended up finding this headline of this place that was um, about to go into their polar night, which didn't had to look up what that meant and is basically like when for an extended period of time when the sun doesn't rise and so in this town uh in alaska how do you pronounce it because i saw them, how do you pronounce that town it it's originally named actually it originally it's gone back to its original name which is utkievik and uh it's more commonly known as barrow okay point barrow um so they were they go into like sixty five days of total darkness in the winter time and the inverse in the summertime where the sun does never goes down, and so I ended up finding time on the calendar that worked for my family and worked for my work schedule and um, went up there for like the last twelve days and I left the day that the sun came up. That's so the whole project is twelve days of shooting.
0: Yeah, that's see that's. That just shows you in a small but you can make a body of work. You could do it in a day sometimes, not always, mm-hmm. but like you 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 came up with the idea and you went there and you just did it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Well, first of all, this was my first personal project, honestly, since like college. Wow, which was a big a big thing for me, and it was daunting because I I showed up to this place and of course I picked like the. One of the hardest places to go and and like uh, physically take pictures. It was negative forty degrees at sometimes. I'm dressed like a I'm dressed like a marshmallow. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, how do you like mess with the settings and even touch the? Yeah, there were all kinds of technical things where, like you know, I had talked to people like Tom Pryor and a couple other friends of mine who have worked often in different Arctic conditions and, um, you know, batteries. In all modern cameras, are are like not good. No, uh, electronics are not supposed to be in cold of that level, and that the most damaging part of it is not just the cold, but it's going from the cold into like your car or the cold into your motel room. Yeah, it's that transition from from like negative thirty degrees to seven sixty eight degrees or whatever the temperature is in the hotel, and it's like that. It's like that condensation that can happen on the electronics that just, like, will zap a camera. So we had to have double of everything Uh, I brought with, like, several lighting setups. I brought with, uh, I then shot on Pentax and also Sony. So I had the Pentax and the Sony, and I had two of each, and then two lenses of each lens from each setup. Did anything die? Anything die? No, everything was perfect because we were given the guidance, uh, and a remember who gave me the guidance, but like, you have to put your camera, you have to put your lenses into those like river bags, yep. those like dry waterproof bags, and they help, um, like buffer the temperature differences from from one extreme to the other so like
0: each of those shots it's kind of like a once you kind of figure out where
1: you want to shoot was it kind of like a quick process like all right like you couldn't spend that much time like oh yeah i mean you literally i would often have to take my gloves off to i had like you know you have multiple coats on you have multiple gloves on you have i had like face masks on goggles you know and I think I counted it was like nine seconds or something that your bare skin on, on like the coldest moments before you're barely able to take it and then you have to put your glove on again. So, um, a lot of those pictures were done with like the whole town had like these vapor lights that that's why a lot of the images are sort of orangey. Yeah. And I, I kind of like kept that and intentionally didn't neutralize them in, in post, but, um, There were some of those images where we were on the outskirts of the town where you, um, literally didn't have any light. So I was framing by doing long exposures and then reframing again, based upon that exposure. Like I was taking pictures of stuff that I couldn't actually see with my eyes. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. But it was, it was an incredibly daunting thing to the point where because I'm an assignment photographer, you know, that's what I, what I am and what I do, and especially up until that point. And so it felt weird to not be assigned by anybody to the point where I was asking people like, tell me what to do here, (laughs) whether or not I'm going to listen to you or not, like it it would at least be helpful for, to, to get some cues, you know, so I ended up developing that body of work mainly in like the last three or four days that we were there because. I went there thinking I was going to do the day in the, a day in the life shoot where I was like meeting locals and doing portraits of them and photographing them like you know doing a whale hunt or whatever it was that they were were doing up there. I went in there completely naive and and um kind of intentionally so and then it very quickly a it's frigid outside and no one's outside so it was like you had to to knock on people's doors to introduce yourself which going back to me being shy is like a little rough but thankfully I was doing it in work mode so I'm I'm like less shy because I'm in work mode but I ended up just feeling very much like I'm this white guy coming into this community and it felt like I was you know the last thing I wanted to do was like exploit the situation at all and so I ended up creating this body of work that was largely documenting like these snowscapes, these uh, like ordinary objects that are just blanketed in snow, mm-hmm. you know, finding a uh, a car broken down on the side of the road, like a perfectly good SUV broken down on the side of the road, or I don't even know if it was broken down. I was just abandoned with like the door open and snow fully inside of the, the cabin of the car. Um, it was just documenting this very, very bizarre place during this very bizarre moment where the sun doesn't come up and where there's like incredible, I think it's the highest suicide rate in the nation is happening during that time, at that place, um, the highest spikes in crime, like spousal abuse, all these, um, you know, drug abuse, all these different overdoses, all these different things is like a very intense place to be to try to make images, but. I, I really went back into that narrative mode where I was trying to, like, create while shooting, create like a, an editing sequence on the fly, while I'm, while I'm actually finding things to shoot of like, oh, I think I need more of this, and so I would go find more of that. And so when I left Alaskan to fly home, I had like this full edit on my website that actually I would say probably like 85% mirrors the edit that ended up in the book. Wow.
0: That's amazing because talking about so much of your work is like preparation, preparation, detailed. Like we like we were talking at the beginning of the interview, like reference materials and lighting, well, this is what we're going to do, but this is the one project where it's like you kind of went up there and you kind of this the project didn't
1: unfold until you really got there. A little, yeah, A little different approach. And then- I was prepared though, oh. but I was prepared in a different way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think, yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good thing to point out that, yeah, I had to kind of be open to what was going to happen there. There were, there were too many unknowns with not just the weather and the climate stuff, but also just like the walking into this place and not wanting to, not wanting to exploit the situation. Um, yeah, sorry, we're
0: back a little interruption there, but, um, the one photo I was interested in talking about in the project there's one portrait of a wrestler which is kind of because like you said most of the project is this kind of like nightscapes this kind of details of the town w- what's the backstory behind the the wrestler photo and what made you want to kind of include that
1: in the project that wrestler image is the one that uh people either really like or people have a real issue with like my, a, a negative my
0: friend last night he had to ask me he's like he, he's like is that like an editing error on his website? I'm like, there's no error on Mark Vainey's website.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up doing a lot of portraits there. And I would say when I said before that the edit was on my site, leaving there was pretty accurate. The only part that was different was the fact that there were more, more portraits, um, on the website edit than ended up in the final project and Mm -hmm. in the book. Um, So I originally felt like it it would be a nice juxtaposition. You know, this place is, uh, it's the, it's like ground zero for climate change. It's teeming with climate scientists. Um, the, so much of the place is like basically eroding into the sea as the, you know, climate changes and water levels rise and storms are crazier and crazier, um, and so there's this weird part where I started doing portraits of some of the scientists I ended up just not liking, not feeling like they were great. Um, and so I ended up trying to get into right when I landed there into this tiny little airport. It was like landing on the surface of the moon and like, (laughs) as you're, as you're dropping, touching down. Um, the crazy little airport there, the security, the check-in and the baggage claim are all in one tiny room <laughs> that is like maybe four times the size of the room that we're in right right now. Yeah. Um, and so on my flight was like the school football team. And I ended up talking in that moment to the principal, who was also like the head coach. And I jotted down their contact information. And as I was struggling to figure out what the project was, how it was going to take shape and why I was even there, I ended up thinking it could be interesting to photograph like young people growing up in this fairly bizarre place. And so I went into the high school and they were kind enough to like let me in and Uh, and I started doing portraits of some of the high school students, like the cheerleaders and the athletes and, the people in the band. And, and so that one image of the wrestler, as I, um, you know, going back to talking about Brian, Brian is part of, uh, publishing. He has a small photo book publishing, uh, company called trespasser, um, he and, uh, a guy named cody and also matthew jenna tempo who's a really also amazing photographer out of austin and they immediately were interested which i was very flattered by i, I didn't know if i was going to make a book out of this or whatever and so very quickly it was decided upon like no portraits mm. and then after playing with the edit a little bit and the sequencing of it brian was like, that portrait needs to go in. That portrait needs to be similar to like, cause there's also mixed in with these quiet snowscapes. There's there's like these little injections of energy, like the punctum put in of um, the dogs barking, or uh, there's another silhouetted image of a dog, and there's a third image of the dog where it's like slightly out of focus, uh, which actually was a, an, a camera error based upon, as was the silhouetted dog. That was supposed to be an image where the dog was hit by a flash and the flash failed because of the cold. And I, it was a happy accident. Kind Like you said, sometimes after the shoot, you get stuff you didn't discover and make something out of it you didn't think you even had. Yeah, exactly. And so Brian was adamant about having that wrestler in there. The wrestler is a stand-in a little bit for, like, this theme of survival you know like surviving this moment in this crazy place and going back to the depression there and the suicide rates and all this stuff like it's it doesn't seem that easy to to live there during that time i think especially for for kids and so the the wrestlers in this pose, where they're like about to pounce on their opponent, it, it kind of resembles like whenever you see a bear, yeah. uh, like a grizzly bear that's taxidermied um, somewhere. They're almost always like, like in that similar pose where they're about to pounce. And so, um, yeah, it was it was just one of those things where Brian specifically was adamant about it, and I was totally fine with it as well. But I, it, I it, it, it's it's yeah. definitely been the one. The, the main thing that people have had a question about or an opinion about. And the opinion is, as I said, either is, like, very favorable or, or like, I can't stand this. I'm pissed that you put this thing in here. Or, like, your friend, you know, <laughs> this reads as a mistake kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I was like, no fucking way it was a mistake. I was like... But it's almost like... Uh, I loved it, because even if you if you can give a reaction, even if it's a good or bad, even, like, a movie, you ever walk out of a movie and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, you know, like that type of feeling. I'll, I love that. I might not like I loved it, but it was just like that kind of, any making that reaction is like hard to do. And I mean, you can. I, I loved it. It just added, it was like a little Easter egg in the project, you know, um, and yeah. it's after doing that project because you said you hadn't really done much personal projects since college. Is that something you want to continually keep doing now? Or is it, Have you been doing more personal work after kind of working on that project? And is it you think it's an important process to keep
1: doing regularly? I'm, uh, the weird photographer that actually doesn't take that many pictures. Like I'm not the type where, where like I only pick up a camera because there's like a paycheck uh, attached to it. I'm more so of just, I, I'm, I'm that friend that goes with, with people camping and there I have the camera with me because I, I just do, and they're constantly saying like, why aren't you taking a picture of that, you know, then, <laughs> and, and for me, I end up just handing the camera to them to take a picture of it because I would rather enjoy it with, with my actual eyes. And I feel like I'm, I'm rarely have the opportunity to just like witness something without actually having a camera involved. Mm-hmm. And so, um, getting back to your Question: I, I did a little project with my daughter at the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. uh, called the wooden house and it was originally started as a way to sort of pass the time, you know, this was like very early days of COVID. We didn't know what was going to happen and how long we were going to be in that, you know, mm-hmm. isolated circumstance. And so. I brought all my, I I like went to my studio, brought back all my lighting equipment and started teaching her about lighting because she was interested in it. Taught her how to use strobes and, you know, using continuous lighting and, and teaching her a little bit about the camera. And we ended up sort of creating these, like this entire mood board of, of like images that we would have wanted to create. And so we worked on that for a little while and it was actually, uh, like I had two different publishers who even in early days of only having like 14 or 15 images, wanted to publish it. I had, um, the New Yorker did a, uh, write up on it. Wow. Um, and I ended up just pushing stop completely on it cause it was not good for my relationship with my daughter. It ended up being a situation where I think she had fun with it originally. And she like enjoyed seeing what Papa does for a living and how, he, he, how I do things but it was a lot of she ended up being the subject of a lot of it and it ended up being a lot of like yeah. really meticulous decisions on my part that made her have to sit and, and endure like the process of it and it yeah. just wasn't it wasn't good so we stopped um, beyond that I have forever wanted to do this project on this town called Colma that's outside of San Francisco It's it's like 10 minutes from San Francisco Airport. It's the only town in the world where the dead outnumber the living. And I always wanted to do a project on this town, and I tried at many different points when I was specifically based out in, in the Bay Area. And I ended up just pitching it to Document Journal. This is the project that I mentioned is about to be published, and um, turns out is a very hard to shoot the thing and very hard to get access to you know I'm wanting to as a side note I have like this incredible uh I think everybody's afraid of dying but I I grew up having like this crippling fear of death to where I would just sit in bed as like a eight-year-old I can remember and just imagining what death would feel like you know (laughs) but not that we can probably feel it but just imagining like darkness and I couldn't sleep. I was just like crippled by it. And so I have since, you know, had a lot of death in my family and sickness in my family. And there was a part of me that wanted to really have almost like exposure therapy by, by like going into the basements of some of these, uh, funeral homes and like seeing the process of how they work on the bodies and, um, you know, watching a body be cremated. And all this stuff that, that even if I didn't have a camera in hand, I actually probably would prefer to witness it without a camera in hand. Um, and so turns out I had a very hard time, for understandable reasons, gaining access to any of this stuff. And the stuff that I did gain access to you know like seeing bodies go into the ovens and things like that i was not able to photograph yeah because a lot of the, people
0: don't realize even those small like funeral homes in your town like it's they're owned by giant corporations
1: and exactly it, it, yeah it's just like that it, it's not like six feet under where it's like yeah. some family that's running it or something exactly that was that was the case in this town it's like almost the entire like literally the entire town i don't know not how many square miles of it is Is just cemeteries funeral homes and uh, Are people dying from something florists... in particular or something? Is it? No, no. it's just as uh, there's there's an interesting angle to it because the, um, like, looking at the Bay Area and knowing how valuable the land is there, I think it was like early 1900s, they just decided the land here is too valuable to have it be, you know, spent or used as cemeteries. So they literally unearthed all the bodies mm-hmm. and put them, moved them all to this town. I think it was like 10 bucks or something that you had to pay to have your loved one moved. Um, and so there's that aspect of it, why why it's there, and also the the climate sort of part of it where because it's that area is so susceptible to earthquakes and things, there were like bodies that were getting after an earthquake, like, you know, a casket would suddenly surface out of the ground or something <laughs> crazy, and so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, all that to say, that, I think, is the closest thing that I've done for a personal project in a while, and I have already handed off the files to the magazine, but I'm dedicated to, like, still trying to get my way in somewhere, and it's less about the corporate stuff, Yeah, with it being the, the death industry sort of being this corporate entity and more about privacy stuff which mm. obviously makes sense yeah so um, but I think the short of some of these projects that are specifically portraits for magazines that I'm doing more for like because I'm interested in who the people are yeah. um, the projects that I am saying yes to are ones where I feel like I can kind of turn them into my own personal projects Um, like 16 journal is a, is a really great photography publication out of, out of Paris. And, um, they do like full bleed images on this beautifully printed matte paper. It's like probably 350 pages thick or something. It's in big, like 11 by 14 format. Mm -hmm. And they juxtapose like classic images from people, whatever the theme is of the issue. So you could like one of the things I did was on Chet Baker. Um, the whole issue was themed on jazz and so like my image is next to like a Dorothea Lang image. Wow. Um, it's just this amazing juxtaposition and so I think right now my main interest in doing personal work is like stuff that can be as I'm being selective on editorial projects, I'm wanting to kind of merge those two worlds where there's there's sort of a blurring of the lines of whether it's a personal project or whether it's for editorial. Yeah. I was also going to say, you, and I was talking to my friend about this, who's also
0: a fan of your work. You've been able to find this way to like balance, like, because that Levi's campaign you did, like, it's technically Levi's a giant company, but it's, it's still, it almost feels like a personal project. Like, how do you do that? Is it, you think it's just now you're, your vision and your style of photography, clients—they come to you for a certain reason. At this point, and they're kind of like, "Do your thing," pretty much, or is it still kind of like a battle of like, "Hey, I want to put my touch on it," especially with like a corporate client like that.
1: Yeah, that was a great opportunity, and I, I um, that was during COVID. It was a project that I pitched to them of just basically like, hey, give me a bag of clothes, like a bag of vintage clothes, and I'm going to figure out the rest. And they were great and trusted me with it. And was that a client you had already had a, a relationship with when you're pitching or you never worked with them before? I'd never worked with them before, but I'd, I knew them. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, through Instagram yeah. and also, um, Bay Area company. I had my, I had my like book signed first book signing for Polar Night and okay. uh, a few of the clients came and that's how I first introed to them but um yeah I I think it's going back to the topic that we were talking about before we started recording this of just of just like there's so many different realms of this industry and so many photographers who we all have bodies of work that we do that I don't even think it's like work that we're ashamed to show but just work that doesn't speak to the rest of the work that we want to do and we all have that like even the people who i think everybody imagines doesn't have that they have i can guarantee they have it you know and there's no shame in that it's just as like you do what you got to do kind of thing and sometimes it's like maintaining a relationship at, at this point and um and so the goal for me and i think The goal for so many people is to have it be where you're hired for the commercial work that you do based upon work that they truly feel, uh, like can look similar to the work that you do outside of the commercial world for magazines or for personal work. And so as I get deeper and deeper into doing this, that alignment happens more and more and more. And the Levi's project is a good example of it. Um, you know, there's other projects that that are on my website. That a lot of the projects that I where that happens, I'm not able to show for certain reasons. Yep. Um, and, but yeah, it's it's an amazing opportunity when that when that does happen. And I'm, I think it's the thing that excites me the most about moving forward is the fact that is happening more and more and more. Yeah,
0: it's incredible, man. And I, I guess to wrap up, I could talk to you all day, man. This is great. Um, I guess, what's next for you? Anything you're excited about? Or what's kind of got you uh, interested photographically these days, or it's crazy, we're end a couple more months, we're going to be in a new year. But I guess, uh, yeah, what's next for you, man? Like, what are you, what's got you interested?
1: I think there's a lot of question marks for me about what I really want to do next. Um, I, you know, have a family to provide for. I'm, I do still have plenty of years ahead of me that I plan to work and would need to work. Um, but I also feel like our industry is changing in, in a huge way. There's a lot of, you know, going back to the AI thing, there's a lot of question marks there. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I feel is genuinely could be so much better than it is. Like, I feel like so many commercial projects right now are incredibly dysfunctional. I think that there's a, a great um, amount of dysfunction in the sort of standard operating procedure for a lot of commercial projects. And I could go into that.
0: Yeah, how do you mean functional Because I, I think I get what you you mean. I, for me, I look. There's a lot of photography and jobs now where it's just like, yeah, it's good enough. There's not that level of like we want it to be the best and like how you're so detail oriented and it shows in your work. Because I, I get a lot. Of, I'm dealing with a job right now where it's just like it's just. They're trying to get it in, get it out, and there's not that level of detail to some sometimes. But yeah, I guess what's your point on like dysfunctional? I guess.
1: <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> I, I feel like the, um, yeah, I could honestly speak to it and a lot of it probably wouldn't want to to air, but I, the one thing that, what I will say is I feel like there's post COVID there's been a real shift and I, I think companies are, they're are all of these fears the companies have now about inflation and about the economy and now we have multiple wars happening and there's also been a real change of the guard in terms of like who the clients are now. So many people that were like our go to people that we talked to at these companies are no longer there Mm -hmm. where they've gone. I have no, no idea. Um. And there's like a new fleet of people that have come in and, um, again, it's not to make a blanket statement, but I, there's, a, there's a lot of people who are just absolutely pleasure to work with and are super buttoned up and aligned on like what it takes to bring something to fruition in a way that's going to be truly worth showing and there's others. And it, it, this isn't a generational thing. This can be applied to any generation, but there's others where, like, you know, they'll have way too many shots that need to be done in a day. And it's more of like a quality, a qual- uh, quantity over quality thing, which is the uh,
0: it's like they never it's like they never been on set like they don't understand what goes into a day because on paper it's like oh yeah you we can do this 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 but in reality like
1: yeah they don't i think a lot of times like have you been on a shoot before (laughs) yeah and they don't value the importance (laughs) of like scouting a location yeah you know they don't value the importance of of like time invested before the shoot Uh to make sure that you're fully prepared for it like, I can, I can go in any situation or in most situations and come away with something. I mean, part of it is the how amazing cameras are now and, like, you know, the AI-driven autofocus and stuff like that. Like, you can get some, you know, I'm thinking of even, like, doing sports and projects and stuff. Like, you can get some pretty amazing images that are part you and part the tool that you're using. Mm-hmm but i've gone so far as to like uh tell a client that i will work for like four or five days for free to scout a thing and to make sure that we're fully prepared to do pre-lights and scouting and all that stuff and there's not even a thank you for the offer but there's there's also never uh taking me up on that offer wow and fast forward to the the shoot and you're in a situation where again you're sitting between like the creative for the client who is complaining about the production company and then two minutes later the production company comes up and complains about the the client and both blaming each other and i'm sitting there in the middle and i know that i'm not in a unique position in saying this i know that from people i talk to all my friends i'm dealing with it right now <laughs> like it's always this way yeah and, or, or not always but it's it's often that way and so i'm trying to think of ways to do away with that and yeah. part of i think what's immediately next for me is i'm wanting to create my own creative studio mm-hmm. and uh it's not fully baked enough to go into sort of the specifics of it but um for me personally I just feel like there's a a better way of doing things mm-hmm. and I'm part of my even going back to like my interest in running a business and also me not being the type of person who needs to have a camera in my hand at all at all moments to be happy. Like I think there's many ways for me to be happy with what it is that I'm doing mm-hmm. while still being able to be a photographer but also being other things like being a verb instead of a noun. And and so for me Um, yeah, I think the, the coming weeks and months and year, hopefully not a year or two, but I would say weeks and months are going to be me looking at, like, rethinking what work can look like for me, and I feel like it's an incredibly, I'm so grateful I'm in a position to be able to, like, push pause for a second to reflect on, like, what am I even doing here, you know? I in talking to, I'm not friends with that many photographers, but in talking to the ones that I am friends with, like, a couple of them are in a similar position where it's like, holy shit, I I allowed myself like a month to not do any jobs. And I am looking at everything entirely different now because of the bandwidth that was gained from actually being able to push pause from, the hustle of, of doing this thing and, that we do and that's a, that's
0: a luxury and we all hope to get to that point and it's like because i feel like that sometimes too i'm sure when you get busy i feel like every day on like, second it's like on fast forward it's just like putting out fires doing this moving to that and you you and in life it, not even this photography anybody career life whatever it's like being able to like take a moment to like think and i feel <laughs> this talking to you and even this look at how you approach your work like it seems like you're good at that like being able to take a step back and very like intentional about like how you approach your work, approach your business, and like what you want to do. Have you always had that like calm? Like it almost seems like you're almost like a like meditation in a sense. Like where are you gonna like because it is like like I said, it's a lot of times I feel like I'm just like going to the next thing, going to the next thing. It's like da 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 da, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, it's part of my demeanor and I apologize to everybody listening to this for my very monotone voice it's it's like it I am I am that like my voice matches a little bit my there is a calmness to it I you know um that for better or worse and I would say in that calmness there's a there's like a huge measured measuredness if that's a word uh like a very measured quality where I'm probably overthink things and whatever but it gets me to where I to where I am but it's 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 this is a weird profession where if you're lucky enough to be really busy or even if you're not super busy there's a lot of days that go by where I'll just be like what what did I even do this week because I'll you know meanwhile I've will have sat in my computer chair doing whatever I was doing for like you know 10-12 hours that day and You know, some, there's obviously something to show for it at the end, but it's, it's just a weird line of work where like, you can't connect the dots from, from that easily from like, you don't see the results until like years,
0: the stuff you're doing now, you don't still see till years or or maybe you won't even see it, but
1: like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's the day-to-day progress. But I think it goes back to that importance of assisting, like when I was an assistant, you have the ability to have that bandwidth like even if you're on a set and you're doing your job and paying attention there is that moment where you're just sitting there with your arms crossed watching it all happen yeah you're watching how the clients react and you're watching how the photographer is acting you're watching that play between the photographer and the the subject and there's just that I, I couldn't yeah, I I feel like this podcast has been an advertisement for QuickBooks and <laughs> photography assisting, but like I really stand by it. Yeah, man, it's a real it's a real trade,
0: and because you think about photography, like back in the day, it was a trade. It wasn't like when photography first started, it really wasn't like an art form when it first started. Like it was it was a trade, and people treated it like such. Like. Think about whether like a plumber comes up or an electrician. You're you're like an you go to school. You're an apprentice, and you work up to like what's the next level of electrician? It's like uh, I forget the three tiers or whatever, but it's like yeah, if you don't take the time to like learn the history of the craft, learn the craft, it's a lot of that. Like we we're talking about, I think that's the type of work you kind of start to see more and more. Where it's like clients are like, eh, it's good enough because it's so easy to be sloppy with digital. Mm-hmm. It's so, and I find myself doing it sometimes. I'm like, Yeah, I'm like, I gotta like. Sharpen up, and it's like more of that, but I don't know what my point was. But (laughs) (laughs) we're talking here for a long time. But Mark, man, I could, like I said, I could talk to you for a long time, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, dude. Of course, it's been great chatting with you. So, there you have it. That was the Mark Mahaney episode. Uh, I want to thank Mark so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. A real pleasure getting a chance to speak with him about his journey with photography. How he approaches his craft and business. Um, just really interesting guy and much respect for his work. Definitely go check out his website at markmahaney.com as well as his Instagram is at Mahaney underscore Mark. I'll put all the links in the description and you can go check out his work. A uh, really incredible photographer, can't thank him enough. And like I mentioned in the podcast with today's episode, um, if you go to pickdrop.com, You can sign up for the pick drop image transfer tool and all you got to do is use the promo code banter and you'll get two months free of the pick drop image transfer tool. So definitely go check it out. Let me know what you guys think. And as always, thanks so much for listening and tune in next week. I got more episodes coming. Uh, We're on Spotify, um, Apple podcasts, as well as the photo banter, YouTube page. You can find us there. Um, So thanks so much and take care.